Greetings, superstars. Welcome back to Word Up with Danny Katz, your one-stop 5D superhero listening spot. I'm Danny Katz, transformation agent, empowered badassery coach, and quantum languaging consultant. And I'm so happy you're here. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated version of yourself. We do this by sharing quantum languaging upgrades, conscious communication tools, witchy life hacks, planetary service announcements, and high-vibing, deep-diving conversations with original thinkers, visionary weirdos, and rebel badasses. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle. <laughs> Be sure to hit that subscribe button and to join us on Locals at dannycats.locals.com where you can watch the video versions of all our episodes including those that are a little bit too spicy for the non-free speech friendly platforms. And it's also where paid subscribers can tune into the second half of all my interviews and enjoy a plethora of other bonuses, including live monthly Q&As, unpublished writings and videos, and behind the scenes intel. Join our quickly growing tribe of high vibe superstars at dannycats.locals.com. Okay, now that we've got all our housekeeping out of the way, let's enjoy today's episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Hey, superstars, welcome back to another episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Today I am joined once again by author, philosopher, thought leader Charles Eisenstein. I reached out to Charles in the wake of the Kanye fiasco and Rashida Tlaib's criticism of Israel and wanted to explore the topic of Jewishness with a fellow Jew. So Charles uh, was kind enough to come back on the podcast to flesh it out with me. So as usual, this conversation is divided into two parts. So the first half is, avail is available for free on all the podcast platforms. And if you're watching this here on YouTube, you can find the second half, which is available for my paid supporters on both Locals and Patreon. So those addresses are patreon.com slash and dannycats.locals.com, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half conversations, as well as monthly Zoom calls with me and the tribe, opportunities for one-on-one -on -one drop-ins, advance notice of webinars, workshops, new books. P.S. There's one coming out pretty super soon, um, as well as special promotions and discounts and oodles of bonuses. So be sure to join me on either Patreon or Locals or both because abundance is super fun. Um, and before we dive into it today, I'm reminding you to hit that subscribe button to like, to share, to comment so as to trick the algorithm into giving me and us more reach. I think that does it for housekeeping. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy my conversation on Jewishness with Mr. Charles Eisenstein.
back. I know it wasn't that long ago that we spoke. Uh, I've been really inspired to explore Jewishness, especially in light of all the craziness going on in our culture. Um, so I was thrilled that you were a yes. And I'm curious to know like what that brings up for you. What, do, what is your experience with Jewishness? Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm half Jewish. My father's, my father's Jewish. And it was, you know, we, we weren't religious or observant in any way. Um, officially, I'm not Jewish because one is only considered Jewish if one's mother is Jewish. Although I'm told actually in um, uh, Roman times, it was Jewishness was patrilineal, not matrilineal. So this is, you know, I mean, I don't know who, who, who decides whether one is Jewish or not. Um, so, but I grew up, you know, not really observing Jewish holidays so much, but, you know, having Jewish relatives, having stories in the family, um, uh, you know, so culturally, I definitely got um, some Jewishness. Mm -hmm. And I never, you know, th thought about it a whole lot um, until quite recently when I was um, uh, denounced as an anti-Semite. Uh, by my publisher at the time um, for um, for um, identifying certain social forces that were underneath COVID hysteria as also having contributed to the Holocaust and other um, historical uh, atrocities, witch hunts especially. And so, how does that, and I know that you didn't, you didn't create the accusation, but how does making those connections translate to anti-Semitism in the realm of logic? Well, I think the argument is that, is that, um, I mean, I wasn't comparing it to the Holocaust, but I think it was that, that they framed it as comparing it to the Holocaust and therefore um, insulting the memory of the victims of the Holocaust. Uh, and another possibility is that um, to say, so, so I believe that there's a deeper cause to historical genocides or particularly that genocide than anti-Semitism. I think anti-Semitism is part of a larger pattern of dehumanization and scapegoating. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that um, it was not, a unique historical event that can be solely based, solely attributed to anti-Semitism. Um, certainly anti-Semitism is what, what uh, facilitated it and directed it toward the Jews rather than, but it wasn't only at the Jews, you know, the, the, I mean, other groups were also scapegoated and dehumanized uh, and that's the bigger pattern. So anyway, that's, 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 um, Ironically, it was non-Jews who were accusing me of anti-Semitism. Um, but did you point out the irony? I didn't. No, I didn't want to actually um, fight a battle with them. You know, because I have I had more important things that I thought I was I was engaged in. Right. Um, and I just thought it was so ridiculous. You know. But you know, I I I think I, I still do have quite some anger over it. You know. My uh, my grandfather, I mean, I'm only here because my grandfather 
hid in a haystack. I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but he literally, when he was three years old, um, a, a sympathetic Russian landlord hid him in a haystack to save his life from a murderous mob. It was during a pogrom. He would have been he would have been murdered otherwise. Right. And my other Jewish relatives, I mean, they faced pogroms, they faced starvation, uh, they escaped Poland. The ones that didn't died in the Warsaw Ghetto, uh, you know, or in Treblinka, you know. So, I mean, it's not like it's not like I have no clue about what went on in the Holocaust, right. and it's definitely in my family lineage. So, anyway, yeah, that that kind of um, brought up Jewishness um, more in my field when that happened uh, a year or two ago. Yeah. And had you, before that, it's interesting that it's it's like the mother that renders us Jewish, but then those of us that have Jewish names, there's, you know, the stigma or whatever that comes along with that. So I get it that the rules are fuzzy. Was there a point in your, in growing up where you connected to Jewishness, to being Jewish, where you were able to identify like, Oh right, this is this is my tribe. These are my people, or these are aspects of me that I can pinpoint as Jewish. Um, I, I didn't take it on so much as an as an identification, uh, but it's kind of like an understanding, you know. Like if I'm in a setting with Jewish people, I can, I like, I recognize that that atmosphere, that energy, uh, and I can kind of shift into that and feel at home in it. Like it's yeah. familiar to me, you know, visiting my my father's brother, you know, who married a Jewish woman and had a Jewish family and they were much more observant than we were, you know, and went to went to synagogue and stuff and and um, the Jewish community center. Like there's like that whole cultural universe of American Judaism that I recognize on a body level and, you know, can navigate it and feel a certain amount of comfort in. So, so yeah, that's that's pretty much the extent of it. Yeah, I have just just for the basis of our conversation, my my experience is similar. I didn't grow up. I'm full full Jew. I did not grow up going to Hebrew school because I was in gymnastics. Um, but I did grow up in Los Angeles where Jews were everywhere. But it wasn't until like being with other people and recognizing, oh, like we're very heady, we're very analytical, like recognizing that in myself. Right. So I'm curious to know. I mean, there's so many places to go with this, but it's interesting to me that we can't criticize the Holocaust. We can't question the Holocaust. We can't make comparisons to it without being accused of anti-Semitism. Um, do you feel that, that, that referencing the Holocaust is anti-Semitic or do you feel like that's kind of set up as a snow job to distract from other things happening? Um. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, let me just say, like, I fully accept the reality of the Holocaust mm -hmm. and that, you know, um, one of the most or maybe the most atrocious episodes in human history took place um, in Central and Eastern Europe, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the early 1940s. Like, I fully accept that. Um, now, there are, you know, accepting that there are many variant narratives that I don't have like too much of a buy-in to, I don't have, an, I'm not that familiar with the different, um, you know, mainstream and and non-mainstream accounts of that. Um, 
But I think that if we, it's kind of the opposite of the accusation about dishonoring or insulting the victims of the Holocaust. I think that if we attribute it to anti-Semitism alone and don't look at the psychological social forces that generated that event, then we are dishonoring the victims because we don't want it to happen again. And we don't want it. It's not this. We don't want it to happen to Jews again. We don't want that kind of thing to happen to human beings again. Right. So it, it to me, honoring the victims means making sure it doesn't happen again to anybody, not just to Jews, but to anybody. Mm-hmm. And for that, we have to look beyond anti-Semitism to the, to other causes mm-hmm. um, of which anti-Semitism was maybe not even the deepest cause. And I'm also, you know, that said, like, I think anti-Semitism is real and it's dangerous and it's, you know, um, once again, becoming visible in society. Um, yeah, I could say more, but maybe I'll pause there. Yeah. Yeah. Have you experienced anti-Semitism? Um, Not in any overt way. Uh, no, I would say no. Uh, I haven't traveled a whole lot in uh, the Middle East or in Islamic countries, mm-hmm. but when I have, uh, Turkey, uh, Indonesia, I, I have not experienced any 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 uh, any problem, you know, by having a Jewish surname. Mm-hmm. So no, I can't say I've really experienced anti-Semitism. Do you think that, and is it your experience, and I also know you've done a lot of research, like do Jews run the world? Are Jews running, are Jews the reason why everything is terrible in the world as a lot of narratives aim to convince us? No, um, I don't believe that. Um, That way of thinking is actually on a, deep level, the same as the way of thinking that generates the Holocaust, which is that you try to find, it could be Jews, it could be be some other group, but you try to find the bad guys Mm -hmm. in order to explain everything that is painful and uncomfortable and tragic in the world with the idea that if you eliminate the bad guys, then we won't have any problems anymore because they were the source of the problems. Mm -hmm. So, that's the same, that, there was a point I made in that essay that got me in trouble. I'm like, that's the same thought form that is feeding the persecution of the unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's, you know, COVID's still here, you know, like, like we have not all become safe and healthy all of a sudden because of, you, you know, even though the vaccines have been, oh, that must be because of the unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. Like this, this, and, and the exclusion from society, like like really inhuman proposals about what to do with the unvaccinated were becoming current. And I'm, I, was, I was alarmed by it, partly because of my Jewish heritage. Um, it's like, we've seen this before. We've seen this kind of scapegoating before. So this way of thinking, I'm really allergic to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to locate evil in some subcategory of human beings. Right. Now that doesn't mean like, yeah, I think that there are a lot of Jews in um, positions of power uh, in, especially in the financial industry and, you know, in, in politics in various ways, a lot of the neocons 
in the U.S. are Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we don't, I don't want to like reverse cause and effect here. It's not that because they're Jewish, they're, they're, you know, it's not that like that membership in the elite is, is controlled by Jewish people. It could be um, because of certain cultural traits that help Jewish people rise to high positions. And it could be in the, in, you know, elite institutions, uh, or it could be in academia, you know, it could be in business in other ways. Like suppose, like, I mean, there's a lot of successful Jewish auto, auto dealer owners, you know, running like Ford dealerships. Right. Like they've done really well. Is that because there's, you know, an evil, like a conspiracy to install Jews in, in successful auto dealerships? Or is it because maybe there's some cultural thing of working hard, you know, or some traditions of business savvy or something like that? I don't know. Right. Uh, but I, I, you know, that that would be my go-to explanation if I were going to, I mean, I haven't really done that much research, you know, into just how prevalent Jewish people are in global power structures, et cetera, et cetera, you know? And if I, and I'm not that interested in doing that, if I did, that would be the first explanation that would occur to me. Right. Yeah, yeah. of course. Have you received any benefits or special treatment on your career path because of being Jewish? Uh, not that I know of, know of. I mean, I've never really identified as Jewish. Right. So, hmm. no, not that I know of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, right now, and I, I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of ambivalence and confusion about Kanye and what he has just come out and said, but in terms of his Jews run the media, is that, is that your experience of it? Uh, I mean, there certainly are a lot of uh, powerful Jewish people in the media, you know, in, in high positions in the media. Again, to, to translate that into Jews run the media, that's quite a leap, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, there's a different feel to saying people who happen to be Jewish run the media um, and saying Jews run the media. Right. You know, you can, you can feel a distinction there. Totally. So, you know... When we, when we look at, at the way the world is going and the appearance of coordinated evil, people kind of grasp for meaning. They're trying to make sense of it. And, you know, you can see a pattern such as, well, there's certainly a lot of Jewish names, you know, in the media or in politics or in finance, you know, like people can weave a, a narrative, a sense-making narrative. Okay, it's the Jews who are controlling everything. And I think that that this tendency um, is symptomatic of a generalized bewilderment and um, a loss of sense and meaning. So people grasp at all these, these theories. And and because it's hard to explain, like how human beings can, can generally be so good and decent and kind and loving, and we are love. How could that be at the same time um, have such horror unfolding in the world. 
Like it, 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 it's hard for us to understand that. So I, you know, I mean, I don't like Kanye doesn't strike me as an especially hateful person. You know, I don't think he's actually like hating anybody. Yeah. Um, he's trying to explain things to himself. Right. And I think that it's, um, you know, not a very good explanation. Um, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I, I've been following Kanye much more closely these past few years, and he doesn't strike me as hateful at all. And I know from our last conversation that I, I tend to be perhaps a little more open to conspiracy mm-hmm. <laughs> than you, but um, I just didn't buy it. I'm like, this doesn't sound right. And in the distinction that you made between a lot of people in media tend to be Jewish versus Jews run the media, like there's a vast difference between those two framings. And in the wake of woke culture, um, for everything, you know, despicable about it, I think it has lent itself to people being more responsible in their languaging, right? Like I come from Los Angeles, we had an issue with gangs there. A lot of the gang members, the majority were black, but no one ever said the problem is the blacks. It was the problems are the gangs. But people don't seem to lend that same um, respect to the Jews. Like it's just so often we'll hear that it's the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, and where woke culture has taken to policing, languaging around other groups, it really hasn't translated to the Jews at all. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Kanye should spend some time with some some friendly Jews, you know, and have some good meals with them, you know, and and enjoy their humor, you know, and like a lot of this is just people, it's, people dehumanize those who they don't understand and don't have uh, a real connection to. Um, yeah, maybe he would, uh, you know, realize that that um, the idea of Jews running the world, you know, I mean, if it's true, then it's certainly not most Jews. Most Jews are just living their lives. And, right. And, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's, it'd be similar to saying, uh, you know, like America runs the world. In a sense, it does. But that does that does that mean that every American is like a vicious imperialist? You know, we're just mostly normal people. You know, it's very, very elite institutions that that are not in some sense. I mean, they're more globalist than American, even if many of them happen to be rooted here that that rule the world. Right. It's not, you know, your average American. And if it is true that there's some connection between Jewishness and domination of elite institutions. It's not most Jewish people, you know, we're just regular people. And, 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 but it, but it's dangerous. These narratives that encourage us to see whole ethnicities otherwise, I mean, we've seen historically what happens. So, yeah. And what do you, why do you think there's this consistency with the Jewish people? Like that, you know, we can go back hundreds and hundreds of years. We can go back to the Templars, you know, in the 1100s, like pinpointing the Jews. What do you like, what do you make of the consistency around the demonization of Jews and how even in 2022, that is still alive, if not growing. So I, I did a lot of, uh, 
a lot of my writing during COVID was based on the ideas of the uh, anthropologist and philosopher René Girard, uh, who described <clears throat> the pattern of what he called sacrificial violence, mm -hmm. where you have uh, social tensions uh, and, and um, rivalries and tit-for-tat violence, uh, cycles of vengeance that build and build. There's the tension builds and it is uh, diffused when everybody gangs up on a victim, a scapegoated victim or a class of victims who are dehumanized and made the uh, receptacles of all these projections of evil. They're blamed for all the problems. They are ritually murdered <laughs> or just murdered. And <clears throat> then social harmony reigns again because, because all of this tension is like, and this desire to do something about it and to get vengeance, it's all been uh, expiated uh, through this killing. So you, to, if, for somebody to fulfill that role, uh, as Gerard describes it, they have to be in, but not fully of society. They, they, so in some societies, the sacrificial victims would be criminals, uh, prisoners of war, but first the prisoners of war would be somewhat integrated into society or, or children who had not yet become full members of society would be sacrificed because this became highly ritualized. Um, or even in some societies, the king would, because he would, because he was above society, he was not fully of society. So he would be the sacrificial victim and even encouraged to commit as many heinous acts as he could in order to concentrate evil in his person so that it could be removed. So this is like a, a very ancient pattern. And the Jews uh, fit the description of the ideal victim very well because they were part of society. Um, they weren't like some you know, completely outside thing. They were part of society, but not fully. They were a distinct subclass within society. So they, they met the criteria very well for sacrificial victims. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, it happened again and again, where, where if there was a, a local ruler who was facing civil unrest, you know, he would turn around and blame the Jews here, because otherwise it would be him who would become the projected uh, embodiment of evil. Mm -hmm. So he would, the Jews were actually very useful to maintaining, uh, to maintaining power. And, and so like, you know, the rulers would, would tolerate the Jews for a, for a time um, until it, you know, became politically necessary to sacrifice them in order to maintain power. Mm -hmm. So like you needed somebody like the Jews to maintain the social uh, hierarchy. Mm -hmm. so, so you're saying that it's fundamental to hierarchy sustaining itself. There always has to be some sort of outgroup. You know, I mean, I think it's even deeper than that because very ancient societies that maybe didn't even have hierarchies yet um, would engage in this in this uh, unifying sacrificial violence. Mm -hmm. It is, I mean, how to transcend it ultimately requires that we stop exporting evil onto the world and look within at the source of our judgments of others. I mean, really, it comes down to, to transcending the mentality and consciousness of judgment of 
you know, I'm superior to you. Um, and taking full responsibility, full mm -hmm. ownership and sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And realistically, how, how quickly, like in how many generations or lifetimes do you think that we could, as a singular human species, accomplish that? One. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> It'd be a great place to end the, the podcast if I didn't have so many more questions. What's <laughs> um, to happen? You know, I, I, don't, I think... the consciousness of, of separation um, is no longer a comfortable habitation for our souls. Right. We're moving beyond that whole way of thinking mm -hmm. uh, that, that um, your well-being and my well-being can be disconnected, that I can insulate myself from what is happening in the world and happening to other people. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that in the wake of um, woke privileging and this like hyper protecting of everyone's feelings that Jews are not included in that? Well, they are in some in in some conversations, but yeah, normally they're they're um, included as members of the of the privileged and the white. Right. Yeah. So. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I mean, the game is so silly I mean, anyway. I mean, partly because, you know, like, I guess just in terms of class, um, mm -hmm. Jews do very well. So, you know, in a certain sense, we are very privileged. Um, and why do you think Jews do very well? I think it's because of... Well, many factors. Um, one is the is uh, the um, you know certain cultural attributes that work very well in the kind of society we have right now, um, and also like just like uh, trauma is generational and inherited, so is um, fortune. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if if you're if you're born into uh, wealth and uh, then then you're gonna have um, a much better chance of of becoming wealthy yourself or maintaining that wealth mm -hmm. so so there's that as well I mean the whole you know conversation about privilege and all of the guilt and shame associated with it um, I mean I can say a lot about that I think that it doesn't actually serve to correct the conditions that motivate that in the in, to, in the first place. I look at it much more through, uh, you know, I spent nine years of my life in Taiwan and absorbed very much that way of thinking. Um, and in, in Chinese, you wouldn't really speak of privilege, you would speak of fortune. Mm. And it was, you know, and it is understood that some people have just good fortune, good luck, you can look in your birth chart and you can tell if this person is, you know, going to have good fortune in their lives and what kind of good fortune. There's mm -hmm. many, many different kinds of, of uh, yin, it's called. Mm -hmm. um, 
Uh, and so it could be financial fortune, it could be fortune in love, it could be fortune in health. There's many different kinds of fortune. Mm -hmm. So it's it's um the the I guess the Confucian teaching around that is that it is your duty to um uh discharge the the responsibilities of your status uh and to use your fortune well to to do that in a good way and to use your fortune well for the benefit of others in a way that is humane and ethical mm -hmm. the basic setup that some people are going to have fortune and some people aren't is not questioned in confucianism mm -hmm. that's just the way things are right so whatever status you are lodged in this ordained um differentiation of human fortune like that's that's where you are you know and you just do the best job you can from that place so yeah so you know here we are very fortunate mm -hmm. and we look at the status of you know black people in america we look at the status of the indigenous around the world we look at the status of people who have suffered the the exploitation of neoliberal capitalism and global austerity and, and, and globalism, you know, and the international debt regime. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, whether they're in this country or abroad, and as human beings who have the means to do something about it, like we want to act. Mm -hmm. The idea that we have to be guilted into acting assumes something about human nature that says, I know you. If it were just up to you, you would happily continue to uh, live your affluent life and not care about anything else. So we're gonna try to make you care mm -hmm. by pointing out the crimes of your ancestors. I think that that is counterproductive, actually. I think that that we can we can hold another story about, about people, which is that I know you as a caring person and you care about the earth and you care about your fellow human beings. And so I'm going to show you something, uh, show you a way in which our, your fellow human beings are suffering or in which the earth is suffering. And I know that when you have this information, you will want to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Like that's a different story to hold somebody in. And one of my core principles is that the story we hold somebody in is an invitation for them to act from that story. So what story do we hold people in when we uh, shame them for their, you know, white privilege or whatever privilege? It, it, like, I understand, like, it's coming from a place that I really want, I'm, I'm troubled by the situation on this planet, by the inequality on this planet, by the legacy of racism and, and all the other uh, isms and phobias and things like I'm troubled by this. I want to make something. I want to change it. Like I, I see where it's coming from, and I share the desire to right the wrongs and remedy the injustices and and um, heal the traumas. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that the way that that is being pursued in what you're calling woke uh, ideology is effective. And in fact, it kind of perpetuates the underlying pattern of dehumanization. 
it's not a victory to switch the subjects of dehumanization from black people to white people right or from you know women to men right like that's that's still the same pattern it's right. no victory if just to switch the identity of the victims you know to to switch the role of victim and oppressor right what we really want is to end that pattern altogether right and therefore we have to change the foundation of that pattern which is our ready acceptance of dehumanizing narratives about other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, um, I think woke ideology does humanity a grave disservice. I think, you know, 70s and 80s, when I grew up, w- we were way more, we were way further ahead in terms of equality than where we've moved now, um, which to me seems that it's extremely inorganic and contrived. The whole idea of privilege is so reductive. It's based on these shallow identifiers that, you know, that we thrust on people assuming that we know them or know their their history as though black people don't have money, as though white people or men don't suffer, don't have mental illness. Like we just, I I feel like it attempts to homogenize us and it creates more racism in the process. That being... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, um, that being said, like, I do believe some stereotypes are true, right? And I think that there's something um, healthy to just acknowledge them. I waited tables for 12 years. And when I waited tables, like, the Jews were the worst tippers and, and the highest maintenance. And that was just my experience. And I'm a Jew. It wasn't anti-Semitism. That was just what I learned from waiting tables, you know? And so I think there's something and I see it in myself and I see it in my friends. Like, yeah, maybe there is a weirdness around money with mm-hmm. us. And maybe there is something healing in, in acknowledging that and taking responsibility. I don't think there's any, you know, that we're wrong or bad, but every, you know, tribe has their, their prominent qualities and characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there may be, you know, explanations for that. Like when you are a persecuted minority, then the um, scope of generosity tends to be restricted to your own tribe. Totally. So if you're out in society, yeah, you're going to like, these are people from outside your tribe, even if you don't, might not know your waitress is Jewish, right? but you you know, you're maybe going to be more oppositional, more adversarial to people outside the tribe than inside. I mean, that's why uh, usury charging of interest in um, Jewish law was permitted to non-Jews. You were allowed to charge non-Jews interest, but you could not charge other Jews interest. That was against the Talmudic. Right. And that's kind of creepy to like, I judge that as kind of creepy, this sort of like the treating of the Goyim differently. And yet I've been, you know, in my, you know, once established media kicked me out and I found my home in alternative media, I realized there's a lot of anti-Semitism here. You know, for every video that I post on BitChute, there are a number of, you know, shut up, kite, get your teeth fake. Oh, yeah. Comments. It's crazy. Like, I see it, too. Like, I, I some of the, uh, I mean, it's really disturbing. Some of the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm known as a COVID dissident, you know. So, like, I, I tend to, you know, peruse Substack, uh, I mean, I mean uh, Telegram channels, you know. Um, and some of them are, like, pretty darn anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic, you know, to like really like full on, um, you know, Aryan brotherhood kind of stuff. Uh, 
and it's it's it was shocking. I remember one time I saw I saw like this you know two minute video by this by this Australian guy you know, and he was talking about his farmers market you know and local community and and like all these and like healing the soil and stuff. And he ends his thing with Sea Heil. I'm like, I was like, I had to replay it. To, I'm like, hold on, what did I just hear? And like, he gives us Nazi salute. And uh, it made me really sad, actually. Yeah. That, I mean, this is how the system is perpetuated by diverting our revolutionary energies away from real change toward each other. Right. We, we end up going to war against each other. We, like these, these, false enemies are erected for us to to battle against while the the actual forces and institutions that uh, are responsible for the way things are are left un, unchallenged for tuning in to today's episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And as you are inspired to learn more about my quantum languaging work, about my books, my homeschool courses, my transformational and empowered badassery coaching, check out my website, dannykatz.com. As well, track all of my latest content on my locals page dannycats.locals.com. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you soon, tribe.